Hey everyone, you're listening to a special episode of The Geek Awakens. I'm Mitch, and joining me tonight is comic book writer Frank Gogol. Uh, Frank, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, and let me just say that I'm so jealous that you have such a good podcast voice. I sound like, I don't even know what I sound like, it's horrible, um, but I, you have a great voice for this. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, it's kind of funny because I am definitely going through Con Crud right now. Like, Don't let anyone tell you that Con Crud is not real. Super real. It's I've never I've I've never gotten it, but it, it, I've seen it damn near kill people. Yeah, and um, and that's actually going to kind of lead to something that we're going to talk about in a second. But if you don't know who Frank is, he uh he was nominated for the Ringo Award for Best Anthology in 2019 for Grief, uh, the first issue of Dead End Kids, his first miniseries, sold more than seven thousand copies over two printings, and is considered one of the breakout indie hits of two, uh 2019. And then also his new book, No Heroin, will be released in June. So, um, Frank, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, uh, to talk to us, or I guess talk to me. We had to actually reschedule things because I'm me and whatever. But, um, and again, thank you for, uh, for working around that. Oh, h- happy to do it. I, I thought I would hate doing podcasts when I started doing them last year, uh, but I, I just love talking. So like, I'm, I'm, I'm super flexible. If somebody wants to sit here and listen to me for an hour or 45 minutes, I'm game. <laughs> So, um, so the first thing that I want to talk about, it's kind of, uh, breaking ish news. Uh, so earlier this week, Emerald city comic con was postponed, uh, due to the threat of coronavirus. Um, I know that you were planning on attending. So what does that postponement mean for indie creators? And also, are you planning on attending when the new date is announced, whenever that's going to be? Um, let me, let me start with that second one. Uh, for me personally, uh, I hope to, um, I would like to. It's going to depend on the date, right? Um, the summer season is when they are predicting the postponement to uh, be until. Uh, so the summer is pretty packed with other cons. Like um, my my June, July, and August are, are like every other week I'm at a con. So depending on what week they choose, uh, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, I would love to be there. It's one of my favorite shows. I think it's one of the best creator shows. Um, for people who are into nightlife stuff, it's got the best bar con by, by far. And if you don't know what that is, it's, it's where all the creators and, and fans and everything get together at the bar that's connected to the convention center and just sort of interact and mingle and, and, and network. And it's, it's such a good time and that's a great show for it. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm hopeful that I'll be there. Um, I'll, I'll make every effort I can. Um, you know, if I'm at a different con that I am not super excited about, maybe I'll cancel that one just so I can attend. Who knows? Um, in terms of sort of like the fallout for indie creators, um, for myself, uh, since I publish through SourcePoint Press and uh, they do things a little bit differently uh, in that they get a, a big booth at a show and the creators are you know invited to come out and, and work the booth in exchange for a spot on the floor rather than paying for an artist alley table. Um, I I got kind of lucky compared to most people. I didn't you know lose my deposit for an artist alley table. Um, I was pretty lucky in that I got my, my full refund for my prepaid unrefundable hotel. I'm still working on the flight, but I'm pre- pretty sure I'll get my flight back. So all, all things said, like I'm going to come out of this pretty unscathed, um, which is not the case for most people. Um, I know source point is, is hurting right now uh, because of this, cause uh, this is canceled. Uh, they were going to be at London book fair uh, over in, in England that got canceled. And then another big show. Um, I think maybe they're going to be at South by Southwest. Um, and like, you know, 
cumulatively, like the cost of attending those shows and, you know, it's, it's like something in the, the $25,000 range. Um, so some of that's lost. Some of it's in escrow, like until they reschedule the con and, and you, you know, they finally get the, their money's worth for Emerald City. Um, and then revenue too. Like, I mean, they do really, cons are their bread and butter and like they're probably out another 25 grand because of lost revenue. Um, and that's a major example. Um, for the average indie creator, um, you know, let's assume no one gets anything back. They're out their table costs. They're out their hotel uh, deposits and or the full cost if they paid up front. They're out their plane tickets because, you know, airlines are notorious about like not giving people refunds or letting you get a credit that costs $200 to use. Like, I mean, like air airlines are terrible. Oh, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, so like, I mean, the, the net effect on most people is, is pretty negative. Um, what I do know, um, and I, I was talking about this a little bit earlier on Twitter, is a lot of people are going to do sort of like a, like a online Emerald City kind of pop up type of thing, um, where you know for the the duration of the three days or four days, they're going to do um, sort of commissions and and sell their their books uh, through Twitter and their Facebooks and, and stuff like that. And um, so, for anyone listening. Um, who at the end of this feels like they want to follow me over on Twitter, I'm going to be tweeting out, uh, you know, it's the names of, of creators who I know uh, who are doing the sort of pop-up approach uh, to, to sell their wares and then promote their, their, their commissions and whatnot. Um, and it's, it's an easy way or not so easy, but it's a way for them to sort of recoup some of those costs and, and to, um, offset like the lost revenue because a lot of creators are you know full-time creators and when they can't make money at a convention that means they can't pay their rent or take their dog to the vet or any of that stuff um, <clears throat> so yeah if you end up following me on Twitter you'll see me over the next few days tweeting that stuff out and, and um, you should check it out and, and see if there's you know, an artist whose style you like you know see if you can get his cheapest commission if that's all you can afford and like you know get it, get some dope art and help somebody out uh it, it's it's gonna be awesome and i'm, I'm glad that like it's you know, there's there's some sort of safety net in place for for what's going on yeah and you know and that you know kind of pop-up idea that's been i've i really admire that idea because it's still it's like you're still trying to do your best and you know for somebody you know like to and not to try to make this you know spin this into a great thing because i mean clearly it's not but i mean for somebody like me who was like zero chance of me going to emerald city i mean this does give somebody else the opportunity to be like okay well i couldn't have made it but i'm still going to you know help out this artist and get something in return for it yeah ab absolutely and I, I think one of the great things about like indie comics in particular is that it's it's very much a grind and a hustle and like yeah like it's 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 a it's a shame that ECCC had had to get postponed and like I understand the reasons I'm super disappointed in myself um but like if if this is what can come out of it at least there's a silver lining um and and I'm really hoping that uh, a lot of these these people like get lots of exposure and and find new fans and and are able to you know pay their bills at the end of all this um and and keep making comics comics are super expensive to make like insanely expensive to make um and they don't usually make a whole lot of money back people do this because they love it um i know that's why i do it um and like i said i was able to to basically get all my money back and i, I think i will get my plane ticket back um so i'm not going to do a pop-up um i don't i don't want to take away you know any bandwidth or, or dollars from somebody who is going to buy something from me and not from somebody else like i'd rather go to yeah the artist who who didn't get their their airbnb money back and who isn't going to be able to like you know, for ramen, which they're already living on. So, uh, yeah, like I said, if, if you're on Twitter and you want to follow me at Frank Ogle, um, 
I'm going to be tweeting out um, the names of anyone I know doing it over the next you know, week or so. That's awesome. So let's uh, let's kind of switch gears and you know talk about you know you you've got uh, you know a, a big you know like a big history you know in, in terms of your time with comics and you haven't been in it in the game for very long. But let's let's kind of talk about like in the beginning like how did you want to get into comics? What made you want to do that? Um. Everyone asks me this question and the answer is much longer than they anticipate. So I'll try and do like the cliff notes version. <laughs> um, I bought my first comic in 1997. Uh, it was a Marvel DC mashup uh, Algamam universe book called spider boy uh, oh, that yeah. mashup Superman and spider boy. And it was fucking trash. Um, I forgot <laughs> to ask if you're explicit or not. I guess you are now, <clears throat> but uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, Spider-Boy was, was a bad comic, but I didn't know any better. And I was a huge fan of the Spider-Man cartoon in, in the early 90s. Um, and you know, that was sort of my gateway into comics. And Spider-Boy was my gateway into to, to reading comics. Um, and I've just sort of been a lifelong fan. Um, I, I uh, had a pretty rough childhood uh, with both my parents being drug addicts and, and my mom being a recovering drug addict for a lot of my youth. And and just growing up where I did in New Jersey was a really poor community. Um, just, you know, so when comics sort of for me became like my escapism, you know, some people get, you know, D&D, some people find video games. I, I found comics. Um, and I would uh, sort of just hide away and keep my head down. Like, you know, when I wasn't out with my friends and sort of getting into trouble, I'd, I'd you know, go to my room, I'd read Spider-Man, I'd read Batman, I'd read Superman. Um, and I loved it. I absolutely love comics to this day. I, even though I'm making them and I don't have a lot of money for comics anymore because I make them, I'm really a big comic book fan. I read a lot of Marvel. I read a lot of DC. I read a ton of independent stuff. Um, but when I was reading Batman and Superman, like I just never felt like I, I could connect with them in the way that I wanted to. Like Batman is, he's a billionaire and he is like, like a very, very like peak human being. And like that, that's to me is very unrelatable. And Superman he is the peak human being and he isn't even human. Um, and he's just the perfect concentration of everything that's good. And like, I just, while I found it entertaining, I didn't find it particularly engaging. Um, so, uh, you know, as I got older, I, you know, read more and I, I, I you know, when I got to high school, uh, I took a lot of creative writing classes and a lot of like honors English classes. Like I really fell in love with literature and, and, and books. Um, like I love reading, uh, and at some point, I think I was 18. I was a senior. Uh, it was when Civil War was coming out. Um, Spider-Man was about to get his, uh, you know, the Iron Spider armor, the Red and Gold armor, and and Civil War was happening. Like I just was reading so much and taking so much in. I, was, I just that was when I sort of fell on the idea that like comics was what I wanted to do. I, I just I loved what comics could do. They were there for me when I wanted them and needed them you know, when I was younger. <clears throat> so. Uh, you know, I, I sort of built my college career around comics. Like anything I thought would help make me a better comic creator, I I didn't in, in school. Um, I studied English. I have a bachelor's degree in English. I have a bachelor's degree in communication. So I, you know, I, I work in marketing today because of that. Um, I have graphic design minor. I have a graphic uh, or a creative writing minor. When I got to grad school, I got two uh, two master's degrees in creative writing. Um, and yeah, I just, I sort of just tried to, if I thought it could help me make comics, I, I did it. Um, and then I graduated with my second master's degree in 2011 and for the next five years, I, I didn't do anything with it. Like I didn't make any comics. Um, you know, like that happens to a lot of people. You have a lot of passion, you have this thing you want to do and life gets in the way. You get a full-time job, you get in a relationship, um, you get other responsibilities that adults get and 
yeah, you sort of your hopes and dreams sort of fall to the wayside, which is super unfortunate. Um, so sort of fast forward to 2015, I was at a really good job at a software company doing marketing for them, uh, it paid really well. The hours were great. The benefits were fantastic. Um, it would like, honestly, there's nothing in, in the scenario to, to really complain about other. It's, I just wasn't fulfilled by what I was doing. Like it didn't make me happy. I came home at the end of the day and I was beat and I didn't want to do anything but sit on the couch and watch Netflix. Um, and like, just, yeah, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't where I wanted to be, what I wanted to be doing. So, uh, at the end of 2015, uh, my then girlfriend, now wife, Catherine sat me down and she was sort of asking me like, what, what's, what's going on? Like, you know, you seem depressed. You don't seem like you're yourself. Like what's, what's going on? I was just like, you know, I'm just, I'm unfulfilled. I don't, I don't feel good about what I'm doing. Like it doesn't make me happy. And sort of as the conversation went on, she, she asked me, um, well, what would, what would you like to be doing? Um, and I thought for a little bit and, Sort of like, yeah, you know, just throwing it out into the ether just to put it out there, like in the world. I said, you know, I, I want to write comics. And like that moment is for me, it's like when like the little kid says, oh, I want to be an astronaut or the little girl says, I want to be an actress. Like it's like it's it's a pipe dream, right? It's like a, something that not very many people get to do. It's it's not a career path that like is very accessible. Um, but like just for the sake of an honest sort of vulnerable moment, I threw it out there. Um, and as the conversation went on, it sort of evolved towards Catherine saying, you know, like, if that's what you want to do, like, what what would it take? Um, and, you know, I said, yeah, I'd, I'd have to learn how to write better. I'd have to, to, to network and travel a bunch. And, and, and yeah, just it, like I'd have to learn a whole new set of skills and, and be all over the place. Um, and sort of by the end of the conversation, she said to me, like, Look, that's what you want to do. Like, let's make it work. Like, let's let's figure out what you need to do. And. Um, essentially what happened is I, I took the entirety of 2016 off from working um, and I dug into learning comic craft and, and taking classes and, and going to shows to network and, 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 and building out my you know sort of support system for it. Uh, and it was it was a hell of a thing, really. Like, I mean, like that was a huge leap for her to take. I mean, we had a house, we had a dog together, I, we were both working and then suddenly I wasn't and we still had a mortgage and we still had bills and um, I was I was freelancing while, while this was all going on. So like money was coming in, but it was much, much less. And and she definitely took on the brunt of the financials um, and and she really believed in me and, and really teed me up to, to be able to, to dig into this this thing called comics. Um, so from there, I got involved with Comics Experience, which is an online comics uh, school, for lack of a better word. They do sort of University of Phoenix style sort of seminar classes um, for writing and for drawing, coloring, inking, lettering, comic book law, um, production, editing, like you name it. If it's part of comics, like they offer classes for it. So um, I took the intro to writing class with Andy Schmidt who was a Marvel editor, who was, uh, he was an editor at IDW, he worked for Hasbro uh, as like the Transformers uh, liaison for comics and stuff. So this guy like really knows the stuff. Like he was the editor on Annihilation. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I took the class with Andy and in that class, I wrote a story called Embrace, which is a, it's a short story about a, an autistic boy and his dad and sort of just like a day in their life and how hard it can be and like, you know, navigating one another and figuring it all out. Um, and, and when I wrote that story, like, you know, with Andy's help sort of helped me take all the tools I already had in my writer's toolbox, sort of organizing them and putting them in a framework that was good for making comics. Um, 
like just putting that story together, like really unlocked everything for me. Like that, like I distinctly remember the moment opening my inbox uh, and getting the final lettered pages in and like having this feeling rush over me. Like this, this is the feeling I want to feel every day for the rest of my life. This is what I think I'm good at. Um, and that, I mean, that's like the short version of my comic book origin story. That's awesome. And you know, and um, when you bring up embrace and that actually, that was one of the stories that was in grief and, that was like I remember because if I'm not mistaken, that's one like one of the last stories. I remember getting there and I was it's like, the last one, yeah, yeah." And like I remember getting there and like grief. It's it's one of those books that it's like, it's fantastic, but at the same time, it's like there are some that are heart wrenching. And I, like I get to that one, I'm like, I'm not prepared. I'm not ready. And, you know, and, and like I said, in the best way possible. Yeah, it's 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 kind of wild. Like I do consider that that little five page short story, the first thing I ever wrote to still be the best thing I've ever written. Um, and like that, that sort of ghost is always haunting me when I write new things and I sort of have to tell it to shut up. <laughs> so speaking of some of like your older work, um, I was looking at your website and I was looking through some older stories. I think I found a new favorite superhero in Java man. So is, oh. there, is there any chance for a one shot about him or I'm telling if you're even willing to make some merch, like I will buy all the merch. I, have tried with so many artists to put together something for Java man. Cause it like, I am so bad at humor and like, like cartoony style comics. And like, I love that character so much. Like he is the Bojack horseman of Batman's and like, I want to write more of him and I have, I have scripts, I have ideas and like, it just, it's never taken off. And like the priorities are just so, so working against Java man happening, but it is absolutely what something I want to develop and make. And it's, I, I promise you it will happen. Java man, oh man, pro- top three things I've ever made. And it, it's a one page story. Yeah. And it's just like the, you know, it, if you learn anything about me, like I'm such a big fan of bad puns and everything. And that one page story was so filled with them. And I was just uh, like, the, the, yes, the, the coffee that. grinder pirate named Grindar. Yes. Yes. I am. I just dark got roast. Yeah. Yeah. The dark roast. Oh man. I, I I'm going to make it. Um, I, I'm actually, uh, this isn't like uh, going through any publisher, but I haven't announced it either, but I'm doing a one shot uh, called uh, chip 2.0, which is sort of like a, a modern robotic take on Pinocchio, but like way darker. Uh, but the art style is very Scotty young. Nice. Um, and uh, the, the artist's name is uh, Ricardo Valdez. Uh, and, and he's one of the one, he's one of the people who I'm really considering uh, to, to do it. I just, it's, it's going to come down to time, like between no heroin, um, you know, and doing the marketing stuff for that. And I'm currently writing dead end kids too. Um, you know, it's just, there's, there's a lot on my plate right now. So, uh, but I promise I will make it happen. So, um, so speaking of dead end kids too, um, this was something that we had talked about during our interview during C2E2. Uh, so you're, you called Dead End Kids to kind of like the spiritual successor to Dead End Kids. So for anyone who hasn't listened to that interview yet, what uh, details can you give about the new story? Uh, I can't say much because the story isn't finalized. Like it's it's the first draft is done. So like I'd say it's like 95 percent where it's going to be by the end of all things. Um, but uh, we also have like I mean, it's it's coming out toward the end of the year, but nothing's official. And I don't want to like get ahead of myself because no heroin's the the focus right now. Uh, but I can say that uh, I, I, I decided to take sort of a true detective approach to it um, in that the, the book will be called dead end kids. It'll have a subtitle uh, right now. The subtitle is tentatively the suburban job sort of playing on the Italian job. It's a heist story. Um, and uh, it follows three kids 
in 2008 who are the children or relatives of uh, 9-11 victims of one kind or another. So one of them is the daughter of a first responder who died in 9-11. Uh, another one is a, a brother of a, a soldier who died in Afghanistan. Um, and uh, sort of it's very much in the vein of Dead End Kids 1, but it's in a different time period with a different set of kids. Sort of like the True Detective Season 1 is not the same as True Detective Season 2 but they spiritually are very similar. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so speaking of no heroin that is coming out later this year. Uh, and I, you know, I read the first issue. It's fantastic. Uh, what, what is that all about? Uh, no heroin is, and I can't believe I haven't brought this up yet because I can't go 10 minutes in an interview without mentioning it, but uh, no heroin is my love letter to Buffy the vampire slayer. I am, a huge Buffy nerd. Um, I, I didn't mention it in my comics origin because Buffy isn't a comic book, but uh, about the same time I picked up that Spider-Boy comic in 1997, I also started watching Buffy when the first season was on TV. Um, and I was way too young to be watching. I was nine. Um, but uh, I, I, I just loved it. I love Joss Whedon's storytelling. I think he's like the modern, more brutal version of Stan Lee. Like the just Stan put Peter Parker through the fucking ringer. Um, you know, in the early first 100 issues of Spider-Man, like, you know, Peter's off to, to be Aunt May's date for her birthday and her only friend in the world, but Doc Ock's got to rob a bank and he's going to miss it. And like, you know, the, the, the whole, you know, it's a very Pyrrhic victory, right? He stops Doc Ock, but like he ruins his relationship with Aunt May. And like, that's the kind of storytelling Joss did with, and, and the rest of the writer's room in Buffy. And I just, I loved it. Um, it felt more realistic to me than, yeah, like life, life is very gray. Um, not, not, not everything is a win. Sometimes there are partial wins and, and bigger losses. Um, <clears throat> so uh, I always knew I wanted to tell a Buffy story, whether it was for the TV show, which obviously I'll never get a chance to do now, uh, for the comic or, or, you know, Boom's got the comic now. I would love to, to, to do something over there one day. Um, but I also don't like hedging my bets and like, you know, hoping that that i'll one day get my chance like i like to have a little more control over things so it's some sometimes i just tell my own version um so no heroin is my buffy love letter it's uh it's a, it's about a, a young woman who fights vampires and monsters but is also a recovering drug addict um uh, this, the the main character's name is kayla she like i said is a recovering heroin addict uh and honestly she's like a real piece of crap like she's not a very good person uh and she's yeah, you know, she's she's out there trying to you know fight monsters and save her friend and and do all this heroic stuff. But like the reason she does it for are so selfish, and they're the absolute wrong reasons. Um, so in this first issue, um, it sort of picks up like right in the middle, uh, with her friend Sid having gone missing, and Sid is a, another recovering addict who she lives with in the park because they're both homeless. Um, and Sid's a little further along in his recovery journey and he's got the structures in place to take care of himself and stay clean. And he's helping Kayla sort of stay on the, the, the right path. And she's about to be 90 days sober, which is sort of a big deal in, in the sobriety world. Um, and then he goes missing, uh, and she sort of sets off on the suicide mission to take on this gang of drug dealing vampires to save him, but she's not doing it because, you know, her friend went missing and cause it's the right thing to do. She's doing it because she is worried that if he's not there, she'll relapse. Um, so Kayla is the kind of person who does the right thing for the wrong reasons. And it's usually selfish reasons. And she's not very self-aware in the sense that, you know, uh, she thinks that 
just being off drugs is is the cure all and like it makes everything good again um and her her whole thing is she just she just wants to go home she wants to go home be a family with her mom again um but she you know she's not going about it the right way and like she just wants it to be fixed real easy and it's just it's not like that um so you know this first issue is very much about her sort of coming to terms and realizing that she's she's going about this the wrong way that she's got a long way to go and like what she's been doing so far isn't any better than what she was doing when she was a junkie. It's just a different kind of bad. So um, there are some like personal inspirations behind no heroin. Uh, do you mind sharing some of those with our audience? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, I think I mentioned earlier <laughs> if I didn't sh- surprise, um, but uh, both of my parents growing up uh, struggled with addiction. Uh, my, my father passed away when I was about a year and a half old. So I didn't really get to know him. Um, he died of an overdose and I grew up with uh for a while, a single mom who who was in and out of rehab and struggled with addiction, and then she remarried, and my stepfather had addiction problems too, and it, the, the whole thing was a big mess. And like you know, obviously, I got into comics as a result of that, as I explained. Um, but uh, even even later in life, when I was a little bit older, um, like I, I had three best friends growing up: um, Harry, Joey, and Tom, uh, my bro- my two brothers, and my cousin. And uh, they were we were the four kids that were sort of the basis for the kids and dead end kids. Um, but uh, in real life, uh, Joey and Tom uh, have struggled with addiction for for most of the last twenty years. So we're all in our, our early thirties now. So like, you know, since since we were you know in our early teens, you know, thirteen, fourteen years old, um, and and sort of having that up close and personal, uh, f- you know, front row seat to to addiction and 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 sort of the 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 cycle that they go through of addiction and rehab and recovery and relapse um it's just something that's like affected me on a personal level a whole bunch uh like like and i think it's something that affects a lot more people than most people realize like addiction in this country is is one of the biggest problems that we have the opiate crisis is absolutely real and it's it's much much larger than like I think anybody realizes, I mean, like the whole, the whole middle of this country has, has, has drug problems, like in every state and like, I don't know, we, in this, in this country, we don't talk about our problems and we don't, we don't, you know, console one another and stuff like that. And like, I just think that that sucks. And I want to you know, do my part to try and shine a light on this kind of stuff. Um, specifically on the, the recovery aspect of addiction, because it's something that sort of flies under the radar in pop culture. Um, there's sort of, Two, there's three parts to the cycle. Like this isn't scientific. This is just sort of my own take on it. But there's there's the addiction part, where you're you're doing drugs and you don't really give a crap about anything, and you know there there are no rules and you don't care who you hurt and and you know that's life. And then you, you get arrested, you go to jail, you go to rehab, um, and then all of a sudden you have this extremely rigid structure imposed upon you, and you know it, it's it's not a choice. You have you you get clean because you can't get drugs. And you go to therapy and, and you sort of are, are rehabilitated to the point where you can return back into society. And then essentially you're put out the door with to, to a place where there's no structure after like the structure was done for you. Um, so what I've seen in my own life and, and what I think is the case for, for a lot of people who get out of rehab in prison uh, is, is you, know, you, you get out of jail, you get out of rehab and you know, you're supposed to never do drugs again, and you're supposed to become a functioning person in society. Um, you're supposed to get a job, um, and in a lot of cases, you're a felon, so that really limits your job options if you have any left. Uh, there's a good chance you've alienated your family to the point where they don't want 
you to be part of their lives right now or maybe ever again. So you don't necessarily have a place to live. Um, and if you do, it's it's not like a, a comfortable situation for the people who you're going to live with. Um, so like, it's just like the pe- people with addiction are sort of shown one of two ways in pop culture. Uh, on the one side of the spectrum, it's uh, sort of this like overly sympathetic, uh, these, these poor people, they, 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 it's not their fault. They have a disease, you know, like we should feel sorry for them. And then on the far other side of the spectrum, it's, you know, these, look at these, these criminals who, who just just hurt people and take away from society, you know, total vilification. Like I know from my firsthand experience with my parents and and the people I grew up with that there's a huge, huge gray space in between that where, where pretty much everyone falls. Yeah. There's some bad people. Yeah. There's some people who are totally sympathetic, but like most people it's, it's really just this, this gray area ness to what's going on with them. So they get out of, they get out of jail and they, they can't get a job. They don't have a place to live and they're supposed to, you know, function like a normal person. Um, and, and what that leads them to do is, is rely on other people. And, and, and for, for reasons that make a lot of sense, like if you can't get a job, you can't pay a rent. Um, so maybe you hit up somebody who's still in your life and say, Hey, can, can I borrow 50 bucks to, to, to get some gas for the car or, or can, you know, so I can have food for the week cause I don't get paid or, or because I need to get the job interviews. Um, and, it, and, and, you know, in my own personal experience, I've I've helped out my cousin and my brother. I've I've driven them to probation and to, to job interviews, and, I, and I, you know, I've bought them lunch and always tried to be there for them. Um, and and you know, if they ask for something and I and I have the means to give it to them, then you know, to to be there for them. But it's a slippery slope. Uh, it's 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 very easy to to cross that thin line between asking for help and taking advantage. And, and I think you said you read the first issue. So there's like a line specifically about that in, in the opening pages of the book. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it comes down to survival for them, like taking advantage and like asking for help too often and not doing stuff for yourself sometimes is, is the way to survive, but it's still not right. Um, so, I mean, like, and that's, that's, that's who Kayla is. Kayla is a distillation of, of those sort of things. Um, she she relies on Sid for help uh, because it's easier than than having the strength inside of herself to to stay clean on her own, and and she wants to go home and she thinks that you know doing this one thing being clean is is going to make up for all the pain she's caused. But like you know, there's there's so much more to it, um, and like I said, I, I really want to do my part to to open up the conversation and show people that there's more to this than like some helpless people who we should all feel sorry for or some terrible people who we should all view as criminals. Uh, so going back to the story itself. Uh, so we, we've kind of talked about, you know, the, the antagonists of the story are, are vampires, which kind of, you know, it is definitely an homage to, to Buffy and, you know, has kind of that, you know, sci-fi feel to it. So was that something that was always the plan or did that come into play later in the creative process? Um, no, no, it wasn't always the plan. Um, this book actually like happened by a happy accident. Um, so um, Chris Mad, who did the covers for uh, Dead End Kids, uh, he and I used to share a shop in New Jersey, a comic shop. And uh, we were friendly. Uh, we were both sort of Wednesday warriors. We'd show up on at 11 when the store opened and then we'd get our books and we'd sort of we'd gab with the other guys who were there. Um, and I was vaguely aware that he did some art stuff and some comic stuff. And and this was all around the time I had started writing comics. And, you know, we, we were friendly. Um, and then in uh, the end of 2017, I moved out to California with my wife so she could be closer to her family. Um, 
And uh, yeah, I, I didn't see Chris anymore. Uh, and then in May of 20, oh God, I'm going to get these years wrong at this point. I think May of 2018, um, I tabled at uh, a convention in just outside of Philly called uh, the Great Philadelphia Comic Con. Uh, and Chris was there and we got to talking. We we're, were catching up. We were always friendly, so we were catching up. Um, and the conversation sort of ended with, hey, you know, you're, you're writing comics now. I'm drawing comics like we know each other. We grew up in the same area. We have some friends in common. We went to the same high school, even though we're, you know, 10 years apart in age. Um, if you ever want to do a book, you know, let me know. And I didn't really have anything in mind. I was getting ready to write dead in kids at the time. Um, and I said, yeah, I'll, yeah, if, I, if something comes up, uh, I would, I would love to work with you. He's, he's an extremely talented artist. He's, he's such a great technical artist. I, I, I really adore his art. Um, and then I, you know, I got on the plane and at, at Philly to, to fly back to San Francisco. And by the time I landed in San Francisco, six hours later, I'd written most of the first script. My, my mind just sort of ran away with it. Um, I always knew I wanted to tell some kind of Buffy story. Um, and Chris has a really horror specific style of art, um, you know, or, or supernatural. Like most of the stuff he does is, is sort of horror thriller based. And like between knowing that about his art and knowing I always wanted to tell a Buffy story and, and knowing, you know, my personal history, uh, combined, Chris has a, a personal history with, with addiction too. He, he had some addiction problems earlier in his life. He's been clean for about 20 years and sort of being aware of all of that kind of stuff, like everything sort of coalesced in my brain and it sort of, it ran away. Um, in terms of the vampires as the antagonists, like that was sort of just like, yeah, you can't write like a Buffy homage without vampires um but i also had this sort of idea that um the vampires as drug dealers like there, there's this interesting angle that they come in at in that they deal drugs and you know they they need blood to survive um but they can't you know they want to keep the supply fresh so they get people hooked on drugs and when they're high they drink their blood but they don't kill them and and to, to sort of grease the wheels of that relationship they give them a discount on the drugs and it's sort of an everybody wins kind of scenario um and that just meshed really well with the idea of caleb being a recovering drug addict like putting her face to face with like the people who used to supply her not not the exact people but with you know it, it's, it's like a metaphorical way of making her face her problem like head on in a physical space uh and like it's just everything like really meshed together really well and like the story came together and like it just it essentially wrote itself like Kayla speaks very much like I speak. So like her dialogue came out sort of without me having to try very much like, you know, in contrast to writing dead end kids where I was writing, you know, 13 year old girl. And I was never, ever in my life, a 13 year old girl. <laughs> um, and, and she sounds suspicious, suspiciously like me. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, I mean, this, this was sort of the perfect storm. Um, and I wrote the first issue of this before I wrote dead end kids. And then, Dead and Kids happened and it was like a much bigger hit than I was expecting and like really put this project on the sidelines for a while. Um, and then uh, I wrote the rest of this series towards the end of last summer. What are the details of on No Heroin? When does it come out? How can people make sure they get a copy? Uh, so right now, um, the information that I have that I can provide is that it will be out in June. Um, it'll be in the April's uh, Diamond Catalog for stores to pre-order. Uh, I don't have a, an order code yet, uh, or a specific street date. Diamond determines all that. And like essentially creators and publishers find all that out when everybody else does and the catalog comes out. Um, but when April hits, uh, in a couple weeks, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, all you have to do is go into your shop and say, Hey, I want that source point press book, no heroin. I want that Frank Ogle book, no heroin. I want that book, no heroin. Um, and your shop will be able to order copies for you. Um, 
it's uh, I'm excited. I, I also, you know, mm-hmm. since we're talking about pre-ordering comics, like, uh, you know, if I could take out my soapbox for, for two seconds, Absolutely. Um, uh, pre-ordering comics is, is the backbone of the comics industry. Um, then like, I, I'm sure most people have pull lists um, for Marvel and DC. It's, it's so much less important because, you know, Batman has an 80 year history. Spider-Man is, is a worldwide you know, sensation. Uh, those books are going to sell. They're going to sell to people who've never heard of them because they, they're familiar with the characters. Um, but when it comes to indie books, it's, it's so important to, to make sure that the book is pre-ordered. Uh, like, you know, just, Take, take no heroin out of this. Like, I don't want to make this about me specifically. Um, if you hear about another indie book from, from Vault or from, from Aftershock or from A Wave Blue World or Ahoy or any of the other smaller publishers, and the book sounds awesome to you, it's super important to get out there and, and tell your shop you want it. There, there's a few reasons for this. Uh, just the general shape of the publishing industry sort of looks like this. Um, a writer creates a book, a publisher picks it up and produces it. Uh, it gets printed. Diamond will distribute it to retailers. Retailers will sell it to readers. Um, so, like that's that's sort of like the the flow the chart of the whole thing. Um, but the print part of it, where it goes to the printer, is all determined by pre-order numbers. So last year for Dead End Kids, the first issue for the initial uh, orders, like before the book blew up and and we did seven thousand copies. Uh, the initial orders were in the 2,500 copies range, which is great for an indie book. Like it's above average for my publisher. It's it's a little bit above average for the average indie book. Um, so uh, SourcePoint Press uh, took those pre-order numbers, 2,500, and they did 3,000 copies. Uh, usually, you want to overprint a little bit, about 10% for uh, damages. Some books come damaged, and you need to replace them uh, for, so the retailers can sell them. Um, and then you want to have a little bit left over for reorder, reorders, uh, so people who hear about the book late can can have a chance at getting you know one of a few copies that are left over. Um, so pre-orders drive that number. Um, but what happens is if people don't pre-order and the book ends up being a hit like Dead End Kids was, it means that you know if there are 5,000 people interested in the book and there are only 3,000 copies, only 3,000 people get to read it, um, which means a lot of people miss out. Um, and I don't want that to happen. You don't want that to happen. Nobody wants that to happen, especially not you know, everybody who's, who's benefiting from it. Uh, you get the book if you pre-order it. Your retailer makes money and stays in business if you're pre-ordered. Diamond gets paid, which keeps them happy. Publisher gets paid, which lets them make more comics and bring no more indie writers to you in your local comic shop. And the creator gets paid, which means I get a paycheck and I get to go write Dead End Kids too, so you can get more cool comics. Um, but if you don't pre-order your books, everyone loses, right? You you go to you go to your shop and you can't get a copy of the book that you thought was pretty cool. Your retailer can't make four bucks off of a copy of Dead End Kids that isn't in stock because you didn't pre-order it. Diamond's not happy because, you know, they lost out on their money. Uh, the publisher makes a little bit less money, which means they can make maybe one less comic a year, which means one less opportunity for a new creator. And it means my paycheck is a little smaller, which means maybe Dead End Kids 2 doesn't happen. Like it's, you know, it's just when you don't pre-order a book, it's a lose, 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 lose for everyone. Um, so... If you hear about a book you like, whether it's No Heroin or Dead End Kids 2 or Ogre or Misplaced or any of the other source point press titles or any of the other small press titles from any of the other publishers, make sure you go to your shop. Make sure you tell them that you want it. Make sure that it's on your pull list so that way um, you can you can get it. And, and here's the cool thing. like uh, Retailers tend to be pretty risk averse when it comes to indie books. Like It's hard to sell them. 
Um, it's, it's, it's just, it's high risk. No one's ever heard of Frank Ogle or no heroin. Uh, so if he orders five copies, maybe he doesn't sell them and he has to sit on them and, and then he loses all that money. But if you go in and you pre-order a book and then maybe somebody else from your shop goes in and orders a book, he might flip to the back of the diamond catalog and check the book out and be like, okay, this is, this is like Buffy. I have some fans in the store who like Buffy and let, let me tell them about it. And maybe I'll order an extra couple copies. And then instead of no copies getting pre-ordered, four copies get pre-ordered and it's four times better. Um, and this all sounds like I'm sort of building up for, to, to say, Hey, give me more money. And it's really not about that. <laughs> it is, it is just the way the system works and, and it, and it's, it's positive for everyone. Like I explained, like you win and your retailer wins and you know, diamond the publisher, the writer, the, the artist, everybody wins. Um, but it also keeps the industry afloat. Um, like if people don't pre-order books, it means, you know, overall market is much smaller and, and. If, if the market shrinks enough, it collapses. Um, and that's that. That sounds like very dramatic. Like we're not we're not getting near that at all. But it's still a good behavior to to inhabit to be in. Uh, if you hear about a book you love, and I, now I'm going to put my soapbox away and 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 just listen. Pre-order your comics. If you hear about a dope book, go pre-order it. Um, so, all right. So, last question: uh, How can people find you online? What other cons do you have coming up? Um, all right, I'll do the cons one first, uh, since it's a little fresher in my mind. Supposing nothing else is postponed or canceled for coronavirus, I will be at Dallas Fan Expo uh, in three weeks. Uh, that's the, the third weekend of March. After that, I am at MegaCon in Orlando, I believe, next. Um, coming up after that, uh, AwesomeCon in D.C., uh, and then I just put a whole bunch on my calendar that I don't remember. But... I do have a newsletter. Uh, it has the list of all of the cons I'll be at, as well as tons of other good stuff. Um, I've been talking about No Heroin on there for over a year, so I, I'm, I'm very open about my work. If you dug Dead End Kids or Grief, uh, or if you buy No Heroin and you love that too, um, it, you'll, you'll know a whole lot more about Dead End Kids too. Uh, you'll know a whole lot about products I haven't talked about yet uh, well in advance. Um, if you're a collector and you like variants and stuff like that, we do exclusives for newsletter subscribers only. Um, you know, usually super limited runs with really great art. And it's just like a really good habit to be in is to, you know, get on creator newsletters because, you know, social media is great, um, but it's all algorithm based. And like, you know, the chances of you seeing everything and keeping up like in any kind of efficient way are pretty low. Whereas if I can every two weeks send you sort of a condensed list of all the news, you can get it directly to you. You don't have to worry about messing it. Um, and, and again, sort of everybody wins. Um, if you're on social media, I have Twitter, I have Instagram. Both of my handles are just my name, at Frank Gogol, one word, F-R-A-N-K-G-O-G-O-L. Um, there's links to sign up for my newsletter on both of those as well. I'm also on Facebook. If you're listening to this and you think I sound like a cool dude and you want to shoot me a friend request, that's that's absolutely cool. Um, if you want to write a comic someday and you want to pick somebody's brand about the process, shoot me a friend request. Like, like outside of you having like a swastika in your profile picture, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty likely to say, yeah, if you send me a friend request. Um, and, uh, you know, just fan pages don't work and Facebook really doesn't support them in any meaningful way. So I, I just, I'm, I'm more interested in, in connecting with people directly and engaging with them and, 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 you know, being a, a, a audience forward creator. Um, and like, I just, I remember going to cons and meeting people uh, who I admired and, and like, like that was it. Like I, I, I didn't get to know more about them. I didn't get to connect with them in any meaningful way. And I just, that's just not how I want to approach my career. Um, so like I said, uh, any of those is good. I definitely recommend the newsletter. 
um, to be like, you know, well-designed like images and, and like marketing crap. Uh, Instagram is my, my favorite of the social medias, uh, but any of them is fine. Awesome. Well, Frank, thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your night to talk with us uh, and best of luck with no heroin. I can't wait to read the rest of the story. Dude, thanks for having me. Thanks for letting me ramble for 45 minutes because it's definitely what I've been doing. Um, but also like, let, let, let me flip that around on you and say like, sure. I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time out of your day. Like I know that yeah, having me on here is, is uh, like, like it feels like I'm doing something for you, but it's really, it's really the opposite. Uh, the last year when I was doing dead end kids, I did 30 or 40 podcasts. And I think that that was a huge, one of the big reasons why dead end kids did so well. Um, podcasts are so much more powerful than like a, like a, a news article. Like I did some bleeding cool stuff last year and uh, I was on the front page of bleeding cool for like an hour until the news cycled me off and then no one ever saw me ever again. Uh, whereas you have a built in audience who, who respect your opinion, who come and subscribe and, and are here to, to hear what you have to say and, and see the guests that you think are worth their time. Um, and it, it's just a 45 minute canvas for me to, to, to ramble about myself and my book and, and for people to get to know me. And like that, I think is one of the most powerful ways we have to connect as creators with, with audience. And, and I am eternally grateful that you take the time to put this all together. Like it's, it's not easy. I tried doing a podcast once. It's a lot of work. It, it definitely is. But, um, like I said, best of luck. And if you ever uh, get that uh, Java Man book, we'll have you back for another interview. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you. Take care. That'll do it for this special episode of The Geek Awakens. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to keep up with what's happening throughout the week. And be sure to let us know about any cool things we're missing out on. From all of us at The Geek Awakens, thanks for listening, and we hope to see you next time. Good night.